Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as we are on the doorstep of what's going to be a big weekend here in the city of Jacksonville. Probably the biggest December home football game the Jaguars have had in quite some time. And we're going to talk a lot about Jacksonville and Dallas tonight. We're also going to spend a little bit of time on the Florida Gators. They are in the Las Vegas Bowl on Saturday, taking on Oregon State. The December signing period, we are inside of a week until pen meets paper for a lot of recruits from all over the country. So there is a ton to get into, and we are certainly glad you are with us. Let me set the table for you tonight. Coming up in about 20 minutes, Jason Cole. He has covered the NFL for many Many years, he's a Hall of Fame voter. He's on OutKick now, and Jason Cole will join us coming up in about 20 minutes to talk. Trevor Lawrence, talk about Jacksonville and Dallas on Sunday. Speaking of the Jaguars and the Cowboys, Dave Campo, usually have him on Monday. I'm going to bring you part of the conversation that I had with Coach Campo. It's a special week for Coach Campo, former Head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, obviously does so much work with us now here on 1010XL. So I want to get Dave Campos' thoughts, for those of you that missed it earlier in the week, about this matchup between Jacksonville and Dallas, two teams that he really, really knows. In the 9 o'clock hour, the Gators, as I mentioned, play Oregon State. We'll talk to Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com. Not only about Florida, we'll mix in a little Florida State a little Georgia in the playoff as well. So some college ball coming up early in the 9 o'clock hour. And at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, we will go to Dallas. Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News will give us the Cowboys side of this matchup on Sunday afternoon. So we're glad you're with us on a Thursday evening here on Hacker After Dark. As we do every Hacker After Dark to kick it off, we have a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal on Hacker After Dark. You know, for the last couple of years, um, when I was on XL Primetime, towards this point of the year, you know, after Thanksgiving, pretty much the entire month of December, I would talk with Leon Searcy before the show. And whether it was a Thursday or Friday before a big Baltimore-Pittsburgh game or before a big Buffalo-New England game or before, you know, Green Bay took on Dallas in a pivotal NFL matchup in the month of December. And I was like, man, what must be like in those cities with those games on the horizon? Meanwhile, the 3-12 and Jaguars were getting ready to play the five and 10 Houston Texans in a game that nobody cared about. Well, that's all changed this week. 
And it will change a week from tonight. Because a week from tonight, the Jaguars are on a national spotlight against the New York Jets. But before we get there, obviously it's the Dallas game on Sunday. This is one of the marquee matchups in the NFL. Granted, granted, it's because Dallas is involved. We all know that. We all understand that. But the opportunity that it is for Jacksonville, the opportunity it is for this organization. You know, I remember back in the day, 1997, the Monday Night Football debut for the Jaguars taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. (coughs) Excuse me. There was a sign in the crowd that night, and it said, Wake up, America, the teal is real. That was 25 years ago. And from 96, 97, 98, 99, the best times in Jaguar history. Then everything went haywire. Salary cap, hell, we all remember it. Reemerge in the playoffs in 05, losing the wild card round. Reemerge in the playoffs in 07, win in Pittsburgh, losing the divisional round. And then 2017. And that's it. <coughs> that is the Jaguars' postseason experience. The teal has not been real for a long, long time. <clears throat> the NFL and the fans around the league simply haven't taken notice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And why would they? We've all lived through it. We know how bad things have been here. Bad draft picks. <coughs> Excuse me. Bad free agent signings. Bad coaching hires. It's been awful. It's been absolutely awful. But last week, or actually it really started to me, the win over Baltimore, coming from behind, driving 75 yards in the final moments to beat the Ravens. And then you had that hiccup against Detroit, and you get blown out, and you're thinking, all right, same old sorry blank Jaguars. And then you go to Nashville, and you do what you did last Sunday. It wasn't that long ago the Jacksonville Jaguars were, what, 3-7? and seven? They were two and six, then three and seven. <clears throat> now all of a sudden, five and eight. They've won three out of their last five games. And if you beat Dallas <clears throat> on Sunday, if you knock off the Cowboys, oh boy. Woo, what that would do. You want to talk about sending shockwaves through the NFL? That would be talked about at nauseum. And then you play again in four days on a national stage against the New York Jets. It is a gigantic opportunity in a 96-hour window for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not only to keep their playoff hopes alive, but to make a huge knock on that NFL door and say, you know what? It's been a long time since we were at the table with the above average and better teams in the league. It's been a long time. We've been on the front porch or even we got kicked out in the front yard on the street. We haven't been at the table in a while. But if you knock off Baltimore, Tennessee, 
and Dallas in the span of four weeks? You're at the table at that point. You would be at the table. And that's what's on the line. Again, like I mentioned last night, everybody's talking about playoffs, right? Here is the scenario. You're down two with four to go, and I hope that works out. I really do. But, and I hate this term. I don't even know why I'm going to use it. It's not a house money thing necessarily. But I think it kind of feels that way. No one's picking the Jaguars to win this game outside of the city of Jacksonville. I think a lot of people say, well, Jaguars will keep it close. But ultimately, they like Dallas to win the game by a field goal or whatever. But Jaguars do win the game. Be the biggest win around here in a long, long, long time. Back to the postseason thing for a second. I hope it does work out. If you beat Dallas and Tennessee loses at L.A., the Jaguars then control their destiny with three games to go. Now, it is a tall order, right? You have to be realistic here. They are down two with four to go. They need help, and they probably have to go – well, they have to go a minimum of three and one. They might have to win out to have a chance. So, I'm not getting my hopes up that much. But again, they're in the hunt. Their quarterback is a franchise quarterback, no question. They're playing meaningful football in the month of December. And the guys they paid big money for are performing. Everything you asked is happening. Back to Sunday here against Dallas. National game on Fox in the 1 o'clock window. The A team is here. Burkhart and Greg Olson, the guys that replaced Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. A lot of people are going to be watching this game. And you have a heck of an opportunity. And if you win this, you're on a national stage one week from tonight in New York playing a Jets team that's also fighting and scratching to keep their postseason hopes alive. That would be another marquee game. You know, we talked about this after Baltimore, and it completely blew up in our face. How would the Jaguars handle success? Driving down, beating Baltimore in the fashion that they did, this city was on cloud nine. And then they go to the Motor City and just get destroyed. Don't get boat raced. Oh, coach. It was a boat racing and then some. Don't do something stupid. Yeah. Campo, you said it. Now you've done it again. You beat Tennessee. Now, for the second time in three weeks, how are you going to handle success? Granted, it's a tougher opponent on paper, although Detroit, not sure if you noticed this, they're pretty good all of a sudden. They just beat Minnesota last week, so maybe it's relative. I'm not sure how much better Dallas is than Detroit right now. Detroit's one of the better teams in the NFC right now. But for the second time in three weeks, how do you handle success? We know you show up for the big games. The Chargers prove that. The Ravens game prove that. The Titans game proved that. But every time you've won a big game, 
you turned around and laid an egg. After the Chargers, you lost to Philadelphia. You turned the ball over five times. After Baltimore, you go to Detroit. You get hammered. Now, after Tennessee, have you learned anything? Can you finally put consecutive games back-to-back? Because I got to tell you, if you play on Sunday the way you did in Nashville, you will beat the Dallas Cowboys. Jacksonville was darn near flawless in the second half. Darn near flawless in the second half. You have absolutely got to perform like you did last week. It's going to take a big effort to beat Dallas. But the excitement in this city, the excitement not only on this radio station, but just around town, man, you can feel it. You can feel that there is a big deal going on Sunday at TIAA Bank Field. This is what we all wanted. Enjoy it. We haven't had it in five-plus years. For the first time in the month of December, since at least 2017, there is an NFL football game that everybody around the country is going to watch in Jacksonville, Florida. And if you go out there and you lose, there's no shame in that. Dallas is a very good team. But make them earn it. I'm not sure if Detroit necessarily earned it. Their offense earned it. The Detroit defense, Jacksonville made a lot of mistakes in that Detroit game. Go out there, put forth back-to-back good efforts, let the chips fall where they may. But the overwhelming point of all this is there's a big game here on Sunday. It's going to be exciting at that stadium in the month of December. There are going to be a lot of Cowboy fans there, but so what? It's going to be a college-type atmosphere, and it is going to be outstanding. 641-1010 is the phone number. If you want to get involved, you are more than welcome to do so. Coming up next, longtime writer for the National Football League, Jason Cole. He's a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. He's been on many different outlets. He's now without kick. What I like about Jason Cole is he doesn't sugarcoat a whole lot. He'll tell you what he thinks. I'm going to ask him directly what he thinks of Trevor Lawrence and what he thinks about this Jaguar football team. And I'm going to ask him about his thoughts on Sunday against Dallas. I get a feeling you might like some of the things he has to say. Jason Cole next on Hacker After Dark. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Cowboys Sunday at 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Probably the biggest December game We've had around here in December in quite some time. Let's talk Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, and preview the Dallas game with Jason Cole, a longtime writer for the National Football League. You can see him on OutKick. He's the author of many uh, very successful books as well and 
He's a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. The guy does it all. Jason, how we doing? I'm fantastic. How are you, Ernest? Jason, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. Know it's a busy time of year for you. And, uh, boy, the Jaguars, look, the last time you and I talked before the season, we didn't know what to expect. There's been a lot of downs. There's been some ups. But all of a sudden you look, and here we are in mid-December, and Jacksonville's still in this thing. Jason, what's been your thought from a mile-up view on the Jaguar season to this point? I mean, it's about – this is kind of a perfect first season under Doug Peterson, right? They're, they've made some strides. You've seen a lot of development out of Trevor Lawrence. We're going to talk about in a second. Um, yeah, there's some, been some you know kind of ugly games and some ugly stretches, but I, I thought you know if you look at that, you know losing streak of what five games that they had, they weren't out of any of those games. There were a couple of plays from flipping those games. You flip a couple of those games, you're not five and eight. All of a sudden, you're talking about you're seven and six. And you're feeling really good about this season. Now, you know, that's asking a lot. But they've been, what have they been blown out maybe once by Detroit? You know, they, and Detroit's, you know, on a roll right now. So I, I, I see this as they, they played some very competitive football in this first year. And a lot of development out of Trevor Lawrence. This is a team that's very much in the right direction. You wish this all would have happened a year ago, but you can't go back in time. You know, this is a this is a really good first year under a very competent, you know, smart head coach with a supremely talented quarterback. Jason, there's this old football saying, I'm sure you've heard it several times during your career. You lose big, you lose small, you then win small, you win big. And certainly the Jaguars have lost big for years. They've been blown out, you know, year after year. But this year they started losing small, like you said, five losses in a row, all by, I believe, eight points or less. Then they started winning small with that win over the Raiders, the win over Baltimore. And then last week, Jason, they won big in Nashville. So, boy, it looks like the Jaguars might kind of be following that saying a little bit. A little bit. I mean, it, I always look at that as kind of an overgeneralization, especially in these days where – I don't want to say that games, you know, I don't want to give the implication that games are fixed, right? But the the talent is so close that games come down to one score games a lot. And if you look at the success of, say, the New England Patriots over over a 20-year stretch of time, the key during that stretch of time was they were really good at one score games. Consistently, they were, I think they won probably 58 to 60% of their one score games. And that that changes your season around because so many of these games are so close and so many rosters are so close. And, but, but once you start to win those close games, yeah, you start to develop the confidence that, yeah, you can go ahead and, and blow some teams out once in a while, which takes you know less stress on your team, right? You want, you want to be able to win like that so that not every game is mentally exhausting um, at, at the end of the season. But, you know, first you got to win those close games. I and mean, when you look at the Raiders, they're losing those close games this year and that's made them kind of go backwards in my, in my view from where the kind of progress that they're making a year ago um, under Rich Basaccia as head coach after he took over for John Gruden, Josh McDaniels, unfortunately has gone backwards a little bit. Now we'll see what kind of changes are made in with the Raiders, but um, 
you know, with when it comes to the Jags, you know, you're playing competitively in close games, starting to feel some confidence. And then if you can flip and turn one of these games into a blowout, then, you know, that makes life a lot easier. Jason Cole has covered the NFL for many years. You can read him now at OutKick, and he's with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jason, you brought up Trevor Lawrence. Let's get in to his game. And look, I mean, since he returned from London in that awful performance against the Broncos, 10 touchdowns and no interceptions. And on Sunday in Nashville, maybe his best game is a Jaguar. 368, three touchdowns through the air, another one on the ground. I mean, the guy's throwing 20 touchdowns and six picks, and he's completing 66% of his passes. What is going so right for him right now, Jason? Well, he's surrounded by, I mean, he's surrounded by, you know, better players. You know, you get Kirk and you get some other guys where, you know, make the job easier. You know, like any quarterback will tell you, I'd, I'd rather throw it five yards and let a guy run for 15. That makes, that makes life really simple, right? Um, you got, a, you know, a little bit better talent around him. That helps. Um, and I think most importantly, you have a competent system, right? You've got competent people saying, this is what you do best. We're going to put you in that position. Um, you know, we're not going to make the game, you know, too hard for you right now. And we're going to let you, you know, progress and develop the way that you should have developed in that, again, in that first year. You know, you can't go back. But, you know, all he really did in the first year was just get on the field and get a feel for the speed of the game. That has value to it. But there wasn't a lot of development because he wasn't, you know, being professionally coached, as I would like to say. And he, the organization wasn't being run professionally. There were far too many distractions a year ago. There aren't those kind of silly distractions that, you know, that existed a year ago. Jason, do you buy into the philosophy that a team needs to learn how to win? Because that's been another popular saying here this year is all they've known is losing and it takes a while to learn how to win these games. Uh, there's something to that. It's believe, you know, it's like it's all about that confidence to know you can go out and play and, and not question and, you know, think too much. It's just, look, playing any sport you know whether that is little league on up to professional okay is knowing what you're doing and allowing your athletic ability to then take over if you know what you're going to do you let you let your athletic ability take over if you have that kind of confidence and you're not thinking while you're playing you're generally in, in good in good shape you know it's the people who think when they're playing you're supposed to think and practice in the meetings and, you know, have the plan ready to go by the time you go play so that you can just play free. Um, you know, and it, that is what you're looking for. That I don't think has existed for the, the Jaguars for a long time, along with it just, you know, like they weren't very talented. Now they're talented. You know, they got some guys who are real players on this team. Um, who are going to be in the league for a long time. Whether they become superstars or not, you know, I don't see any superstar on their offense outside of Trevor Lawrence right now. Maybe Travis Etienne gets there at some point, but I don't think there's a superstar receiver. You know, maybe Evan Ingram becomes, you know, a better tight end, 
you know, along the way, I, you know, I think he's kind of what he is. Right. So I think they need to still go out and get a superstar receiver somewhere along the line to help progress the offense and maybe some more depth at running back or maybe even a second tight end, depending on how they want to play. You know, I know Peterson's big on having two tight ends and being able to use that flexibility when he can, they don't really have that right now. So depending on what kind of weapons you get around Trevor Lawrence, and I would just keep feeding Trevor Lawrence more and more weapons to make the job easier, just like what Indianapolis did when they had Peyton Manning or what Denver did with Peyton Manning. Keep giving them weapons. Keep giving them guys that can really play. Um, you know, As long as you follow that philosophy, you'll do fine. Final moments here with Jason Cole. You can read his coverage at OutKick. He's covered the NFL for many, many years. Jason, final, uh, I guess, Jaguar topic, and it's not so much 2022. Look, the fans, they're, they were two back with four to go, right? That's what they'll tell you. And maybe something works out where, I mean, that Titan game in Week 18 might be for the division this year. But to me, I'm looking ahead to 2023, and I see a Houston team that is in disarray, rebuild, but still disarray. Indianapolis, yeah. good grief. What kind of offseason are they going to have? And, Jason, that Tennessee team, they looked old, man, on Sunday. They looked slow. They got they got problems up there. They just fired their GM last week. I got to tell you, when these preseason publications come out in May and June, I'd be shocked if Jacksonville is not picked to win this division next year. Uh, I would say that that's you – know, look, I think that there are going to be a lot of people who say Jacksonville will win the division next year. Uh, I wouldn't disagree with that any bit. Um, I would also say Tennessee, look, they're pretty well coached. And I don't think that Derrick Henry has slowed down that much. And he's centered to what their offense is, right? Um, I just think that they, you know, they tore down their offense a little too much on the outside, on the outside receivers. Whereas you wanted to have continuity with, for Tannehill, who's, who's really just kind of a mid-level starting quarterback. Um, so Tennessee, I think is still going to be tough, um, you know, and, and is not, is not going to be an easy out overall. You know, on Sunday they were, but I don't think that that's you know they're I don't think they're going to go away. But certainly Houston and Indianapolis, I mean, they're both going to be picking quarterbacks, right, and trying to figure out how to rebuild their teams and hoping that those quarterbacks work out. What Jacksonville has is, you know, the quarterback is at least a good player. Is he going to become the superstar that you think? I think you're, it's trending that way that, you know, he's going to live up to the hype of a number one overall pick. And if he does, you're good for 10 years, right? You're just, you know, like the next decade is already, and you just have to follow through again on a plan to make sure that you surround him with good people, pick good defensive guys, have everything, have everything in place. And you'll be right there every single year, you know, just depending on what the hiccups look like, you know, which every, every team suffers. So, yeah, I like where Jacksonville's at. This is what should be happening for a team that had the number one overall pick and got a guy like Trevor Lawrence in that particular year. This is playing out nicely. It's a little slower than you wanted again because last year was wasted, but you're not that far behind. Hey, Jason, final question. You're certainly familiar with the Jacksonville area. We haven't had a big game in December around here in a long time. Dallas hasn't been here in 16 years, one of the – quirks of the schedule when you play games in London the last Dallas game here was moved to London so there'll be thousands of Cowboy fans there'll be thousands of Jaguar fans 
that'll be one of the better atmospheres Jacksonville's had for a home game in quite some time on Sunday, albeit it appears to be a pretty tough matchup for the Jaguars. Yeah, but I'll say this. I think you can kind of punch Dallas in the mouth a little bit. I'd be I'd be interested to see what Doug comes up with. I you know I love Doug, and, and he knows that sometimes you just have to come out and find some way to do something to your opponent like that 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 says, "Hey, we're here. We're planting a flag, and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to compete with us." And Dallas has this way of getting ahead of themselves. I, I say it all the time, and, I, and I'll live by this statement. The Dallas Cowboys, as soon as they start to play decently well, you know, you know, where are they ten and three now, um, you know, they get on a little roll. They all of a sudden think, okay, um, can we print our Super Bowl tickets now? Can we, you know, set up our hotel room now for the Super Bowl and stuff like that? Like they get so far ahead of themselves, and that's the mentality of like Jerry Jones to me. You know, like Jerry just assumes that we're going to be in the Super Bowl. It's like, wait a second, you got all these steps you got to do and all these games you have to play before you even get there, right? But they just assume it. And last week when they played against Houston, or you know, a couple of days ago when they played against Houston, that was a telltale game. You know, they've been mopping up with some teams recently, just taking people apart. And then all of a sudden they play a team that has one victory, and they go to the mats with them to, in the fourth quarter. Jacksonville's way better than Houston. If, if Doug comes in and says, hey, let's, let's find a way to get a quick score on them, or – Let's run a blitz and, and punch, you know, Dak, you know, Dak Prescott in the mouth a little bit. And I don't mean literally, but you know, hit him hard or, or do something that messes with their minds. I, I'd love to see how this game goes because I, I think that I, I wouldn't mind being Jacksonville saying, "I guess you have to beat the Cowboys." I, I, I'm not afraid of them. It'll be interesting because if Jacksonville does beat Dallas and Tennessee loses at the Chargers on Sunday afternoon. Jacksonville would control their destiny with three games to go for an AFC South championship. <laughs> Hard to believe. Jason Cole has covered the NFL, like I said, for many years. Always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jason, thank you for the time. Happy holidays, and we'll talk in 2023. Likewise. Be good. Thanks, Brian. There you go. Jason Cole, always appreciate his time here on Hacker After Dark. They are underway week 15. In the National Football League, San Francisco and Seattle. Uh, Denmark, last score I had, still 0-0, about, uh, what, midway through the first quarter, is that correct? Yeah, not even about seven minutes of the first quarter, still no score. All right, that's a big game in the NFC West, the 9-4 49ers, the 7-6 Seattle Seahawks. We will keep you updated. Coming up next, it is Jaguars and Cowboys we have Dave Campo on every week here on Hacker After Dark. We got to talk Jaguars and Cowboys with Dave Campo. If you missed our conversation, we'll bring it to you next. What is the former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys? Think about this matchup on Sunday. It is a Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Campo's Coaching Corner on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. What a win for Jacksonville in Nashville for the first time in nine years. 
The Jaguars go up to Tennessee and come back with a W. Coach, how we doing? I'm doing great, Hack. And and can I start this off with something? Absolutely. This, uh, all you Jaguar fans out there, in the last four games, you've seen a generational quarterback that has evolving in front of your eyes. In this game, great throws, uh, many under pressure, many uh, with contested routes. Avoided the rush, eyes down the field. He's doing a great job with that stiff arm on the on the TD run. Two-minute drill. That's two out of the last three games he's led a two-minute drill, one before the half, a couple before the half, and one to win the game. 180 passes without an interception. Last four games, 10 TDs, zero interceptions. He's he's evolving, guys. We can be excited about that. There's a lot of reasons to be excited after yesterday. Coach, I I think first and foremost, you know, the mental block. A lot of these guys were not here for a lot of the game, certainly the fan base, the media alike. You could tell yesterday – was a big deal, even for the new guys on the roster. To go to Nashville, Coach, a place that this team hasn't won in almost a decade, and to not only win, but essentially to beat the crap out of their arch rival in Tennessee on their field. You saw Trevor Lawrence waving goodbye to the Titan fans, which everybody around here just loved yesterday. So, yeah, it's a win to go from 4-8 and eight to 5-8, and eight, but... I think in the grand scheme of things, it's almost like ding-dong, the witch is dead, kind of. That was a big mental hurdle, not only for the team, but I think for everybody in this city. There's no question about that. You know, uh, I I think uh, Leon uh, on the fifth quarter has put it very succinctly. Uh, You know, Tennessee has looked looked at the Jaguars like they're the, the big brother, and Jacksonville's the little brother. And any way you look at it, when you've got that situation, there's a lot of emotion involved. And I think this football team gets it. Uh, They showed it the way they played. They played hard, even though there were still some mistakes. But they played extremely hard in this game. And and really, uh, it's such a big game because really, in, in two games against the Baltimore Ravens, who are an excellent football team, against the Titans, who are leading the division, They've come to the front, and they've played well. Dave Campo here with us on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. All right, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence, and I think your opening thoughts there are what everybody has been hoping for here in this town since they drafted him in April of 2021. Coach, simple question, why? Why is he so much better now than even he was, say, six weeks ago? Well, it's experience, learning, and an excellent coaching staff that, that you know, is, is grooming this young man. You know, early in the season, uh, like I said this, this in the, at the beginning, 180 straight passes without a, an interception. That's, that's a second to, to David Garrard uh, when he was here. And that in itself early in the season was not the case. You know, he was forcing some things. He was doing some things in the red zone, throwing interceptions. He understands the game now. He's getting a feel for, you know, the, the pace of the game. He's, his eyes are much better. You know, he's, he knows where everybody is around him. He knows when to get moving, and his eyes are still down the field. All those things are, are experience, and he throws the ball away when he has to. Uh, 
he's making good decisions as opposed to some good decisions and some real bad ones. You know, Coach, you look at quarterbacks around the league, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, maybe Mahomes is the exception, but you look at a Tom Brady, you look at an Aaron Rodgers, a Joe Burrow, a Josh Allen. I mean, I just named a lot of good ones. And they got a little attitude to him, Coach, a little moxie. And and for Trevor Lawrence yesterday, leaving that game to wave at the Titan fans, and then when there was a scuffle at the very end, he was protecting Luke Fortner, who the Titans decided to bull rush in the victory formation. Trevor getting in there, mixing it up, exchanging words, and then pointing to the scoreboard right at the Titans' defense. I got to tell you, uh, we haven't seen that around here in a while. Uh, n- nothing against Mark Brunell or, or Byron Leftwich or David Garrard, but they really that really wasn't their thing. Bortles would do that, but Bortles obviously wasn't very successful in his time here. I think the fan base, the media, you, you also factor in where it was in Nashville. Boy, I think that was a really, really good sign that Trevor not only is taking ownership of this team, but he'll protect his guys. You could tell there was a little, little moxie to him yesterday. Well, there's no question, and and that's one thing that I didn't mention in that opening statement. You're seeing the leadership showing up even after the ball game against Detroit, and I think he, in a way, called out the entire football team, including himself, uh, with the with the situation that we had, uh, you know, the boat race up at, at Detroit. <laughs> and to, to, to add to that, what he showed in this game, the things you just said, I think this guy is becoming a leader. I, I've, I've always felt that he was com- extremely competitive, but I think a lot of people looked at his demeanor like, you know, not enough uh, fire. Well, I believe he's got fire, and I think he's starting to feel like with his, with his uh, performances, he's starting to take control of the football team, and that's what you need from your quarterback, and I think that bodes well for the future. Monday night coaching with Campo, our man Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. That's interesting. We'll get to that here in a moment with the game coming up on Sunday here in Jacksonville. Coach, I'm going to give you these numbers. 188 catches, 2,077 yards, and 13 touchdowns. All right, 188 for 2,077 and 13 touchdowns. That's what you've gotten in 13 games from Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, and Evan Ingram. Is there any other way than to say those signings to this point have been worth the money? Oh, I think they're worth the money, absolutely. I, I You know, again, uh, do they – you know, we're hopeful for Calvin Ridley, absolutely. You know, he may be a number one. Maybe these guys that you're talking about are not necessarily number ones, but, you know, that improvement has made a difference in this season – and if you look back, you know, in the games that we could have won that we didn't because of, you know, a, a, a really bad play, whether it's a passive, you know, interference, a rough in the passer, you know, penalty situations. If you if you put those in the win column, you'd say this was a tremendously successful season not just for the quarterback, for the entire team or the receivers. And I think the receivers have been a big part of that. And I think there's a great relationship right now with those guys with Trevor. And I think that's important. I think a lot of those guys will be back next year. Hopefully Ingram will be back next year. Coach, it's not all sunshine and rainbows on offense. They're having a problem 
running the football. Trevor was absolutely dynamic yesterday without really any threat of a running game, which to me makes what he did all the more impressive. But they do need to run the ball. I mean, if you don't run the ball, eventually that's going to be very badly, uh, very bad for you. So what is the problem right now? Because it wasn't that long ago ETN had three consecutive 100-yard games. Boy, he hasn't gotten it going at all here in the last couple of weeks. Well, first of all, I think a little bit is a is a, a you know, a, and and this is not the main thing, but I think there's a little bit of a confidence issue with uh, with uh, Trev, uh, Travis. You know, it, when you watched him yesterday, even when he got into decent position, what did he do? He really locked up on the football. He didn't really make any you know decisive uh, cuts, and I think that's because you know he he in his mind. You know, I've got to protect the football because he's he's fumbled the ball in, in critical situations. And once you get into that situation, you you know, it, 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 they're going after the ball. So I think from a positive standpoint with that is that he made runs without turning the ball over. But I think it's hindered him a little bit. The other thing is uh, this front four, especially in this game on defense, uh, their penetration, the one thing they do is they rush the passer they stopped the run by rushing the passer and getting penetration. And our offensive line had problems yesterday blocking them. And, you know, I think that it's a combination of, you know, that situation and maybe a little bit of tentativeness with, with uh, Travis. And, you know, hopefully uh, the offensive line will get better. There's no way we could run the ball yesterday. Uh, they just, you know, they were uh, lining up to stop the run. And, and they've got guys up front that can do it. A couple of more for Dave Campo. It's Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, on the defensive side of the ball, look, there was some bad issues yesterday. Derrick Henry had almost 100 yards rushing in the first quarter. But to the defense's credit, right, four turnovers is four turnovers. I mean, they, they got the Titans to fumble, throw picks. I mean, kudos to the defense for that. And we finally saw a pass rush with four quarterback sacks I know you can't rely on that every week but if we're going to kill the defense when they're bad let's give them a little bit of credit when they're good and yesterday forcing turnovers getting to the quarterback it was a job well done absolutely and you know again uh you know this defense has some wars and and it they're, they're there you know some of it is might be scheme uh situations some of it might be individual talent uh, you know, you've got some misfits. I think the area that we're the, you know, first of all, going into this game, I felt that the matchups were better with our cover guys uh, in the secondary against that receiver core. And that proved out because we had a lot of contested uh, plays. Uh, Campbell alone had, I believe, three passes broken up. 31 had a pass broken up. Uh, so, you know, that's going to be an issue going forward with real good receivers. Uh, but the biggest concern with, with me is run fits with the linebackers and crossing routes with the linebackers. And, and that's something they have to continue to clean up. We have a, you know, we, we're a little hesitant at the linebacker position of attacking the line of scrimmage once we see where we're supposed to go. But as far as turnovers, you know, that's how you win football games. And, and that doesn't come – a perfect example is uh, uh, number 50, Quarterman. You know, on the, on the throw over to uh, number 22, 
on that one where he's running down the sideline. Quarterman wasn't in the right spot off the play action, but his hustle and his hit caused the fumble that went to uh, Josh Allen. And that's what this defense is doing. They played extremely hard yesterday. There were a lot of guys around the ball, and that's how you get turnovers, whether it's fumbles, interceptions, whatever. you got to be around the ball, and they were that way yesterday. Coach, final question before we get into this week's game so quickly. Uh, when you watch Devin Lloyd, uh, I know he had been struggling. He had lost his job, quite frankly. Chad Muma came in to replace him. Did Devin Lloyd play better, in your opinion, yesterday? Yes, I think he played better. And, you know, again, that's, uh, you know, getting him on the field. You know, he had to start in the ball game, you know, and, and, and you know, those are things that uh, he needs. And, you know, they're, they're doing less things on defense than they've been doing, and I think that helps him a little bit. He still has a ways to go, but, you know, when you look at those two rookies, uh, uh, Lloyd and Muma, you know, they're going to make some mistakes. That's rookie rookieism I call it and you know they're going to do that but I think he played better yesterday final moments here with Dave Campo I always introduce you as Dave Campo former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys because clearly when people think of you coach they think of the Dallas Cowboys and look who's coming in on Sunday the 10 and 3 Dallas Cowboys Dak Prescott Zeke Elliott Micah Parsons and I would imagine thousands of their fans to TIAA Bank Field it's going to be a big game, biggest December game around here in quite some time. Coach, your thoughts, your feelings, your former team against your, uh, I guess, your current team now that you're a, a resident here in the Northeast Florida area. Well, let me just uh, say one thing first. Uh, I was recognized five times about, about this week, and all of it was because I was with the Jaguars, ah, not, the, not the Cowboys. Nice. So. Uh, you know, that's good. I, I am a Jaguar right now. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, I was with the Cowboys not only as a head coach, but with them for 18 years total. So I have some loyalty to the Cowboys, but, uh, you know, I'm rooting for the Jaguars this week. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind I'm, I'm now a Jaguar. With this team coming in, you know, there's some matchup issues uh, from, a, from a defensive standpoint and an offensive standpoint. They have quality players. They – they not only have somebody on one side, like Parsons on one side, they also have Lawrence on the other side and Alexander inside in that front four. So you can't just zero in, but you have to take care of Parsons because he's a game wrecker. So they're going to have to pay attention to him. They've got two running backs that can make it happen, and I think the quarterback is a winner. So, you know, this is going to be a tough ball game, but the exciting thing is what you bring up all the time, Hack, especially being around here for as long as you have, is the idea that this game is meaningful not only for, for, for uh, Trevor Lawrence, which is the number one thing, we've all said that, but for the team because it's a meaningful game as a team in December. There's no question about that. And Look, the atmosphere will be a college football-esque atmosphere with Dallas rolling in. It's a big game for them. Jacksonville looking to keep their postseason Hopes alive. Who knows? If Jacksonville beats Dallas, Tennessee loses to the Chargers, all of a sudden the Jags control their own destiny with three to go. Final question for you, Coach. It's obviously going to be tough. We know how good Dallas is. If you were advising the Jaguars this week, what are the one or two things that they need to do to win the game on Sunday? Well, stay away from Diggs throwing the football because he's a turnover magnet. On the other side – 
make sure you or on the same side, make sure you take care of Parsons. You know, make everybody else uh, have to beat you. Don't let him uh, control and wreck the game. Those are two things from an offensive standpoint. They've got to get the running game going this week. If they don't, they're going to have a problem. Because if you get in third and long against that football team, you, you've got a problem. They can rush the passer. On defense, they've got to make sure that they don't get uh, Parsons, or excuse me, uh, Zach, uh, Zach Elliott or, or Pollard get going. And, you know, they've got to, they've got to play some coverage against those, against those uh, receivers. It'll be the first time Dallas is here in 16 years. That's unbelievable, right? The last time they were supposed to be here was when they went to London to play the Jaguars. So for the first time since 2006, my goodness, Dallas and Jacksonville. Of course, you'll get the game right here on 1010XL Sunday at 1 o'clock. You'll get Dave Campo along with Leon Searcy and myself on the fifth quarter after the ball game on Sunday. Coach, uh, looking forward to spending a little time with you. This weekend, before the fifth quarter, we, we're going to break bread. Appreciate you having us all over, and uh, we'll have fun on Sunday as well, my friend. Thank you. You're welcome. And and one thing uh, beside that, that 2006 game, we whipped their butt, and I was here. <laughs> so, listen, it, it could be the same thing again, buddy. Thank you, Coach. We'll talk soon, my friend. All right, Hack. Have a great, uh, have a great uh, night. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. All right, then, Mark, I can assure you I did not intend for you to be a babysitter tonight, but I'm just curious how my three-year-old is acting with you in there right now. Oh, he's pretty good, man. Good. I, uh, people don't know. I was a middle school track coach, and I had to babysit boys and girls middle school track team in one room for about two hours before we had a track meets. That sucked. Huh. Yeah, I sucked. can imagine. Well, we're going to pick up his grandparents at the airport here in about a little uh, over an hour. So, little hacker in Denmark or bonding, or as he calls him, Mr. Denmark, here on Hacker After Dark. That might stick, actually. I kind of like Mr. Denmark here on Hacker After Dark. All right, a lot of Jags and Cowboys talk, obviously, in the first hour. Thank you to Jason Cole and Dave Campo in hour number two. We're going to go to Dallas coming up uh, 25 minutes or so, right around 9.30. Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News. We'll get the Cowboys side of this. Dallas needs to keep winning to keep pace with Philadelphia. They're two games back of Philadelphia. They're hoping for an Eagles loss. I believe Dallas actually plays Philadelphia next week. So Dallas needs to keep winning, but they can clinch a playoff spot on Sunday with a win here in Jacksonville. So it's a very big game for Dallas, and we know how important a game it is for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So again, we'll go to Dallas. Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News coming up in about 25 minutes. Coming up in less than 15 minutes, Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com as bowl season officially kicks off tomorrow. There are a couple of games tomorrow. I believe five games on Saturday, including... The Florida Gators, as Florida and Oregon State in the Las Vegas Bowl. Jack Miller will be the starting quarterback for the University of Florida. Uh, Denny Thompson and I did a Gator Bites podcast this morning, 
that you can check out on 1010XL.com, on the Facebook, on the YouTube page as well, previewing Florida and Oregon State. So we'll talk to Connor O'Gara not only about the bowl game, want to talk about Florida State a little bit. Now, they don't play their bowl game until December 29th, but they're already, again, I think they have three transfers that have already committed. A lot of their guys that were thinking about going to the draft have decided to come back. Jordan Travis is coming back. I got to tell you, Florida State going into next year, going into 2023, I think might be a preseason top 15, maybe a preseason top 10 football team. They are going to be outstanding, in my opinion, with the amount of talent they have returning in Tallahassee. So we'll talk a little Florida State. Georgia in the college football playoff. Again, that college football playoff will be here in two weeks. Georgia and Ohio State. And then, of course, you have Michigan and TCU. So we'll kind of go around the Southeast and the ACC with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South coming up in less than 10 minutes. As far as Florida goes, look, it is what it is. They got a lot of guys in the portal. A lot of guys have declared for the draft. A lot of guys are not going to play in this game. Uh, See what the young guys have. I'm curious to watch Jack Miller. Could Jack Miller be uh, an uh, option, if you will, for the Gators at quarterback in 2023? I still firmly expect them to get somebody out of the portal to be their starting quarterback. You, of course, have Jaden Rashada, the five-star, coming in in the class of 2023. But it will be very interesting to see what Jack Miller has playing against an Oregon State team that's one of the better defenses in the Pac-12. Look, Oregon State's like a 10.5-point favorite in this game. They're a top 15 team. The last time they played, they knocked off Oregon. So it'll be a good test for a lot of Florida Gators that have not gotten a whole lot of playing time. It is a Wednesday night. Or I'm sorry, excuse me, are you kidding? It's a Thursday night. My goodness, I don't want to make the week any longer. It is a Thursday night in the city of Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. San Francisco and Seattle have kicked off week 15. The 49ers up 7 nothing on the Seahawks. Ten and a half minutes to go in the second quarter. It's a big game. San Francisco at 9-4, and four, Seattle at 7-6. and six, A big one out in the NFC West. We'll keep you updated. Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com, talking a little college ball. That's next as we roll on Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Gators playing the Las Vegas Bowl on Saturday. Florida State's bowl game is still about a week and a half away, and we are right in the heart of the transfer portal. There is a lot going on with that. Let me welcome in Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Connor, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. It's been a, it's been an interesting week uh, on the heels of bowl season, which is always a great time of year. But it feels weird with all these, you know, opt-outs, and transfer portal decisions, and obviously the Mike Leach news. Uh, it's kind of put everything else on the back burner for a little bit, but everything's going well, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to actually have some football on the way here. No, there, <clears throat> there's no doubt about that. And look, I mean, I want to ask you about everything you mentioned, but I think we got to talk a little bit about Mike Leach. You, you mentioned him, Connor, what he meant to college football. He was only in the SEC, I guess, for, for three years there at Mississippi State, but even in those three years certainly meant a lot 
to the conference. We have seen the overwhelming outpour of support by everybody involved in the Southeastern Conference. Just how would you how would you describe what Mike Leach meant not only to the conference but to the world of college football? I was talking to this uh, with, with your, your co-worker, Matt Hayes, and we were trying to come up with if there are five people as influential as Mike Leach was in college football in the 21st century. And that list, Manny, it's, it's pretty limited. I, I think you could make the case Nick Saban, Jim Delaney, Mike Slive are the only three that I would definitively put ahead of Mike Leach. And then everybody else, I, I don't know, I think you could make a pretty good case that Leach is right up there with the, that elite company because what his offense was wasn't a gimmick in the way that many speculated it was when he's coming up with Hal Mummy at Kentucky back in the late nineties. And, you know, I was talking to Tim Couch about this the other day. They didn't really have any idea of what this was going to be other than, Hey, you know, it, it relies on spacing and we're going to get to throw the ball a ton. And, you know, we're, we're going to have our skeptics, but we're just going to trust this system and their confidence in that scheme made you believe in it. And now you look up, and you see all these guys, even at the Heisman Trophy ceremony, who have air raid impacts. And we're talking about Caleb Williams and playing in the Lincoln Riley offense, and Max Duggan playing for Sonny Dykes and and playing with Garrett Riley. And like you're just seeing it everywhere. And it's so unique to see someone that impacted the sport in the way that Mike Leach did. And not just because he was an unbelievably entertaining press conference, but because of what he did for the the, the nature of how we view offense. And it's kind of, you know, it's bittersweet to, to look back at this time in the SEC because it was so limited, only three years. But I'm so grateful that we still at least got this chapter in the SEC. Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Connor, what did you think of Mississippi State promoting from within? Uh, the defensive coordinator gets the job, a four-year extension. And what, if anything, do we know about their bowl game? Yeah, so Zach Garnett getting that job made a ton of sense. And everybody that's kind of followed his career and the way that he rose through the ranks with Rocky Long at San Diego State was originally going to go to uh, Syracuse. And then Mike Leach, after what, two weeks, I think Zach Garnett was, was after he accepted the Syracuse defensive coordinator job, was like, hey, come be the D.C. down here at Mississippi State. And he was. And he's been great. I mean, I made the case. I think he might be the best defensive coordinator that Mike Leach has ever had. So it made a lot of sense that he was promoted. I think he's going to do a great job in that role. He was destined for bigger and better things. So I think Mississippi State fans were relieved to see that move. But yeah, the bowl game, they're playing. You know, they're playing. They're absolutely playing in that game January 2nd in Tampa. I'm going to be there for it. I'm looking forward to seeing the way that this team comes out, hopefully rocking pirate helmets and and embracing this, especially in Raymond James Stadium, where obviously they're going to have a, a ship in the end zone right there. It just seems so fitting that Mike Leach, his team is playing in a bowl game with this setting. But, yeah, I I wouldn't pick against them in that game. I think they're going to come out ready to go, and they're going to want to play for their coach. Yeah, there's no doubt. You mentioned the pirate ship in Tampa. That's a great point. You know, it is is fitting that the pirate, Mike Leach, his team is playing there in Raymond James Stadium. All right, there's no easy way to move on from that. Again, prayers up to everybody with Mike Leach, his family, his friends, and everybody out there in Starkville at Mississippi State. But we talk sports. It's what we do. So let's continue with the Gators, Connor. On Saturday, they have the Las Vegas Bowl against Oregon State. Now, for me, I'm going to watch it. I'm excited about it. I want to see Jack Miller. But goodness gracious, Florida might only have, what, 65 scholarship guys. They're playing a top 15 team in Oregon State. What's your early thought on the Las Vegas Bowl? 
Yeah, I mean, bowl games are they are such a crapshoot in this era of college football. They really are. But Florida really feels like it is in a tough spot. Having to start Jack Miller at quarterback, a guy who doesn't have a snap this year. And also, by the way, you're without your stud offensive lineman in Osiris Torrance. You're without your middle linebacker, Ventrell Miller, which Florida fans know all too well what that looked like last year without him. It's going to be really difficult. It just is. That's reality for this team, and especially against an Oregon State team that you know, they stick to their identity. And that game against Oregon where they came back down 31 to 10, they only threw the ball 13 times in that game. They completed six passes for 60 yards. They stick to their identity. They are a running football team, and they've got a really nice thing going with Jonathan Smith, who might have been just the best hire out of that entire post-2017 cycle, which, of course, included Dan Mullen. So I think Oregon State has the advantage. The only thing that's allowing me to say, hey, this could be a little bit weird, a little bit wonky, a little bit close, is the fact that Florida still has Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. And I would think that Billy Napier is going to want to run those guys a ton against an Oregon State run defense that's 60th in the country in yards per carry allowed. So I would think that Florida is going to have a chance to hang around because bowl games are weird. But I still think Oregon State's the better team and they'll ultimately win this football game. Connor, this will finally put the first year of Billy Napier to bed. Uh, whether it's 7-6 and six or 6-7, six and seven, I don't necessarily know if that matters very much. I mean, how would you summarize year one for Napier in Gainesville? Herky-jerky. That, that's that's the only way to describe it. And I, I kind of wondered at the time if that Utah win was going to set the bar a little bit too high for him because I didn't necessarily think their team was ready to compete on that level from the jump. And it's a difficult thing to do that. This was a team that had its weaknesses. We knew that the defensive depth was going to be an issue, especially in that front seven, and that proved to be the case. We knew that Anthony Richardson was unproven, and he didn't necessarily have any situations where he could show that week-to-week consistency under Dan Mullen because of the opportunities that were limited for him. So those questions, I think, were were all confirmed, and we saw it in very you know herky-jerky fashion this year to beat a team like Utah, to also lose to a team like Vandy, to nearly lose to a team like USF, to actually lose to what at the time felt like a devastating loss to Kentucky. But I, I just think that you look at their year and you say, man, this is kind of what you expect of a year one coach. Now, if they're still doing this in year two, that's problematic because you should be able to work the transfer portal very well. If you're Billy Napier, he's going to have to be extremely active in that. He was wanting to be more active in that last off season and wasn't able to do it at the level he had hoped for. So I would tend to think that this is a prime opportunity for him to be able to rebuild that roster and, and turn the page because year one coaches look, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. It's all over the place. It's not necessarily the best barometer for success, but that year two, it becomes very important for Billy Napier to set his foundation. couple of more for Connor O'Gara, Saturday down South.com Connor, the transfer portal. It has hit Florida very hard. I think 16 guys have entered the portal. Now, some of those guys want to go elsewhere, greener pastures. I would imagine Billy Napier might not be losing a lot of sleep about some of those guys. So it's not all necessarily contributors, but it's 16 guys. And that's just Florida. I mean, A&M, all, all these schools have all these guys entering the portal. What is your thought on this whole portal thing? Because, boy, it looks like it's getting a little out of control. It's inevitable, and it feels more out of control because we now have these windows, right? So it's condensed into the periods of when you can transfer. So it's hitting college football fans in a different sort of way. But what also needs to be remembered is teams like Florida aren't just going to have a one-way street with the portal. This isn't Clemson. 
they're going to be active. They're going to want to get their guys. And that's going to start happening soon as guys are able to take these visits. And you're going to see more of these teams kind of relax when they see some of the incoming talent. But the timing of it is really frustrating because this is an angsty time of year, especially if you're a fan of a team like Florida who didn't necessarily live up to some of those expectations. And you're all of a sudden you're looking out like, well, we're losing this guy. We're losing this guy. Where's our depth? What are we going to do? And I think those those needs will be addressed very soon. But I don't know that you can really change it a whole lot. I, I really don't because I don't think you can move it back. I think these coaches want to know what their scholarship limitations are with the early signing period. Now that makes it really challenging. So I, I don't necessarily think that there is a much better way to do it than what's currently being done. The portal midseason. I mean, I think that is at least for the better. But. Yeah, it does seem like teams like Florida, teams like A&M, Ole Miss, they're getting hit pretty hard right now. Well, and there's just everything is right now, right? It's bowl prep. It's NFL declarations. It's early signing period next Wednesday. And now you got the portal. The year seems to be too long, Connor, for all of this stuff to be in, you know, this three- or four-week window. Yeah, it kind of does. But it's it's inevitable. I mean, I mean, it just is. And everything was moved up with the early signing period. That, that, that definitely changed things. And I think you even saw coaches get fired earlier than ever as a result of that. And I think that's what led to some of these bowl opt-outs. And, you know, if you're a coach that's leaving your team right after the regular season finishes, and even a Lincoln Riley last year where they're going to a New Year's Six Bowl or Brian Kelly, a, t- a guy who, you know, his team still had a chance to make the college football playoff. And you're seeing these guys leave. You know, the players sitting there like, what to say to you about bowl game opt-outs? You know, it's – it's hard to kind of preach this every game matters and then have this game at the end of your season when, you know, the hay is kind of in the barn with how people are going to remember you. And I think that it's kind of all fallen into this, this two, three week period. And it's a lot to handle. It absolutely is. It's tough to keep straight. I feel like early signing period has been kind of on the back burner with all that's been going on in the sport, but it does feel inevitable. And I think we as college football fans will adjust to it eventually. But right now, this very first one where it's all kind of centered around this time, it does feel like a lot. Final moments here with Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com. Connor, what's been the reaction around the conference, your personal reaction about Hugh Freeze there at Auburn? I think there are different ways to look at it. If you're looking at this through the lens of 2017, um, to me, I think that's a, a little bit outdated. I think – you know, I, I'm not a believer in what's been said about like, oh, you know, everyone has a past. I think there's there's more layers to this situation. And I think Hugh Freeze in the situation at Liberty with Chelsea Andrews and reaching out to somebody that had a, a sexual assault lawsuit against the university. To me, if those decisions aren't changed, that will be his undoing at Auburn, not necessarily whether or not. You know, he calls up an escort service. All right. Like, I think that there are different questions about Hugh Freeze and the decision making that goes into everything involved with this job. And I I think he's a great offensive coach. I think that he's going to have a lot of success. I think he's going to be able to bring a lot of talent through those doors, which, by the way, $12 million in NIL money that they got set up, new $92 million football facility. They're going to be able to get that thing going. I have no doubt about that. But those are the decisions that we will still question about Hugh Freeze. And there's nothing he can say or do in this moment that's going to put that out of my mind but in the meantime he's got to have it he's got to have a, a roster that's totally overhauled in my opinion and he's going to have a chance to compete in the sec west probably not until at least year two georgia in the playoff they get ohio state i mean that's a tough draw obviously in the semifinal. but would you anticipate this is georgia's to lose i think so it is and you know i'm not going to dismiss 
the possibility that this Ohio State team could have some 2017 Alabama vibes where Alabama lost the Iron Bowl, you know, pretty convincingly, in my opinion, and then wasn't supposed to make the playoff. Then they did. And then they kind of played the entire playoff like it was a free roll. They dominated Clemson. They make the halftime switch to go from Jalen Hurts to Tua Tungavailoa. They beat Georgia. Everybody knows how that played out. So I think with Ohio State, though, the question is, what can they really adjust from that Michigan game? I mean, they got exposed badly. And I think in their tough moments this year, I don't necessarily know, at least against the quality competition, I don't know that C.J. Stroud's been the guy to kind of bring them out of it. And Marvin Harrison's phenomenal. I thought if they had Travion Henderson, if they had Jackson Smith and Jigba, this would be a little bit of a different story. But finding out that those two guys aren't playing, I think that's advantage Georgia. I think everything points to a Georgia repeat. And in many ways, it'll feel like Georgia came came up short of expectations if it doesn't become the fourth team to repeat as national champ since 1980. That's a very tall bar to clear but at the same time that's what they've been able to do and there's a reason why they've won 31 of the last 32 football games i think this georgia team is rolling and i think they have a very favorable path to be able to win it all i agree i would be a little surprised if georgia did not win another national championship final question connor o'gara saturday down south connor a lot of florida state fans in our neck of the woods here in jacksonville unbelievably fired up for 2023 a lot of guys have already announced they're coming back Jordan Travis has announced they're coming back I think they're going to be one of the maybe more hype teams coming into next year do you buy Florida State in 2023 you think they're going to keep this going it's the first time I'm buying Florida State in a minute it is it really is maybe maybe since like 2014 where I'm really like sipping the Kool-Aid because I mean, I love Jordan Travis. I really do. How can you not watch that guy and just be amazed at his toughness and the things that he can do? He's turned into a great player. And I think that you look at the weapons that he's going to have around him. I love the addition of Jaheim Bell. He was wildly misused this year at South Carolina with Marcus Satterfield. It was a big point of frustration for Gamecock fans, but being able to add somebody like him into that offense seems like a huge win. I give Mike Norvell, a lot of credit because a lot of people were kind of packing his bags for him and they were saying this this thing isn't going to work they're going to have to start over again and he has been able to write that ship in a pretty significant way I think if they win this bowl game they've got a really good chance to start off as a preseason top five to top 10 team coming into 2023 hard to believe we're saying that but again you and I are on the same page I completely agree with you Connor O'Gara SaturdayDownSouth.com Connor know you're busy man appreciate the time if I don't talk to you beforehand have a happy holidays and we'll chat again soon absolutely appreciate it man you too back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville we are glad you are with us the Jaguars and the Cowboys Sunday one o'clock of course you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL in Jacksonville let's go to the state of Texas to Dallas where the Cowboys reside Michael Gelkin does a terrific job covering the Cowboys for the Dallas Morning News, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Michael, how are we doing? I'm doing well, Ryan. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Hey, Michael, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And first time in 16 years that Dallas will be here. Uh, 2006, the last time they played in Jacksonville. As you can imagine, there are a lot of Cowboys uh, fans here in the state of Florida. Pretty happy they'll get to see their team again on Sunday. Yeah, that's exciting for those Cowboys fans in the area. It seems like every area in the in, in the country, uh, when the Cowboys fans are, are around, uh, they, they show up in, in droves. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the environment is like on Sunday. But uh, yeah, 2006, that's 
It's a long time. Jason Peters, the Cowboys offensive lineman, uh, nine-time Pro Bowler, future Hall of Famer. He's currently working at right tackle uh, a bit, and he was in awe of just how long it had been because they moved him in a pinch this past game against the Texans. And Jason Peters is like, I haven't played right tackle since 2006. So 2006 <laughs> is a long time by all measures. There's no question about that. All right, let's talk about Dallas, this 2022 Cowboys football team. Boy, they got away with one on Sunday. I don't think they were looking ahead to the 5-8 and eight Jaguars by any stretch of the imagination. What happened there against Houston, in your opinion? You know, it doesn't seem to matter who you're facing, generally speaking. If you muff a punt that gives your opponent possession inside the 30-yard line, allow a touchdown on that short field, then you have an interception that gives your opponent the possession again inside the 30-yard line, and then uh, you allow a touchdown off that, you spot 14 points. It's going to be difficult to win against anyone, including the team that you're favored to beat by 17. It's going to be a tight game. Cowboys end up beating the Texans by seven. Uh, pardon me. Cowboys end up beating by Texans by four. But it was just that type of game where if things go wrong and, and you're having those sort of self-inflicted you know, mistakes, including some pre-snap penalties, you're, you're going to make it a tight contest at best. Uh, Cowboys were fortunate to find a way to win that game. Michael Galkin of the Dallas Morning News. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Michael, I'm old enough to remember when Mike McCarthy was on a hot seat. Everybody was talking about Sean Payton coming in in 2023, and now all of a sudden you look Dallas at 10-3, and although amazingly not in first place with what Philadelphia is doing. What is the thought about McCarthy now after a 10-3 and start? Yeah, I think all along, Jerry Jones, at least publicly, has expressed confidence in Mike McCarthy as his head coach. There was a little bit of very quiet as related on that front in January as Dan Quinn started to field head coach offers. You know, he interviewed in multiple places, including Denver Broncos, Chicago Bears. And all along, though, once you get past that pocket of quietness, uh, Jones has been pretty steadfast. You know, Jerry Jones has said that, you know, he believes – and Mike McCarthy as his head coach, and if he didn't, there would be somebody else sitting next to him because you know he understands the importance of competing for a Super Bowl, not getting any younger. Jerry Jones turned 80 years old in October, and so the time is is now for the Dallas Cowboys team and, and the franchise. Now, it will be interesting to see if we see Mike McCarthy get an extension. Uh, we'll see what Jerry Jones is saying, if Dan Quinn is again getting job offers, uh, interviews, uh, you know, as early as next month, but yeah, I think overall, there's no doubt that McCarthy has done a really strong job with his team, preparing it mentally to compete each and every week. And it would be a surprise if, if anyone wants to talk about Sean Payton coming here anymore. I, I, I don't really like it when people talk about that sort of thing. I remember Bill Cowher went to the broadcast booth, and when John Gruden went to the broadcast booth, it seemed like every year we're talking about when they're going to leave the booth and get back to the sideline. Let's just cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah, no, I agree. And McCarthy's done a very good job to this point. Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News. All right, Dak Prescott, uh, certainly one of the better quarterbacks in the National Football League, has stayed healthy uh, for a large part of this year, has obviously had some injury problems in the past. Has that been the key, just a matter of being out there, being able to play, and you know, you can see what he can do when healthy? Yeah, I think to some level. I mean, obviously it was a, it was a tough setback week one with the, the thumb fracture, but you know, overall – you know, he's been able to play, I think this is like sixth or so, this would be a seventh 
uh, straight game. And so the constancy that's come from having him healthy is felt throughout the entire offense. You look at the Cowboys uh, since Prescott returned in week seven, and really it took a game to kind of get there. Week eight in particular is, is when things got, you know, the Cowboys started to execute on certain situations, but, you know, points scored, third down offense, yards, uh, you know, all that, red zone scoring. Uh, Cowboys have been at or near the top of the league in every category that you look at. And Prescott's return has been directly correlating with all of that. Now, the run game is a big part of that, and the Cowboys are in a bit of a tough spot. They just lost their right tackle, Terrence Steele, for the season with an ACL and MCL tear. And so how they navigate that, as well as losing nose tackle Jonathan Hankins for the rest of the regular season with a pectoral strain, um, you know, cornerback Anthony Brown a week earlier with an Achilles uh, rupture. Uh, Jaguars are going to be facing the Cowboys team that's kind of looking to recapture its identity in a couple positions and asking some some guys, uh, some older, some younger, to step in. So that'll be uh, an interesting storyline here in Dallas going into this game is just how they can mitigate the injuries that they've encountered over the recent weeks. You know, you brought up a terrific point. The fact that Dallas is 10-3 and three right now, a large part of credit has to go to Cooper Rush, right, for keeping their head above water until Dak came back. I mean, just how big – was that that not only did he come in but he came in and won Michael I mean that was a big deal in September it was yeah you can't say enough about how Cooper Rush just kind of has this even temperament if you were to talk to him it wouldn't be a very animated conversation let's just say that Um, I like Cooper Rush personally but he would be the first to tell you um, he's not a guy who gets too high or gets too low he just doesn't ride that roller coaster stays really steady and that is what the Cowboys needed. You know, you lose your quarterback for five games with a thumb fracture, um, and you got the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, defending AFC champions coming to town. Uh, that's a critical point in your season. And yet, Cooper Rush, steady as could be, just managed the game and uh, the Cowboys' run game and really their defense uh, cumulatively deserve a whole lot of credit for the success that the team had with Cooper Rush at quarterback. Rush did a really effective job of avoiding turnovers. And that was that was critical. But running the football with with consistency and playing stellar defense is, is really pivotal to how the Cowboys were able to get through that stretch. A couple of more from Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News. He's here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Michael, you got a two headed running back monster with Zeke Elliott. We know how good he is. But when did Tony Pollard become one of the best running backs in football? When the Cowboys decided to use him like one. Um, yeah, he hadn't in a game, seen 15 carries uh, until this season. He hadn't seen him, um, you know, he hadn't started, um, really was involved early in games the way that we're seeing right now. Um, Tony Pollard has become more of a part of this offense. I think the Cowboys all along understood that they wanted to mix the two, um, so that wasn't a major development, and they did believe in Tony Pollard's skill set. But I think we're seeing at times the, the leash that they seem to have on them it's kind of been dropped, and they're just letting Tony Pollard go in, in longer stretches. So um, it's it's been a big part of the Cowboys' success in the run game is that blend between Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. They have a really complementary mix that they provide with Elliott, the more physical of the two, and Pollard. You know, you think if you're here in the defense and you got a good feel for how you're you're fitting an inside zone or you're fitting you know a, you know a certain run concepts, and then in comes Tony Pollard and the speed with which he runs, and suddenly. 
instead of arriving right on time, you're, 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 you're step late. And that's all Tony Pollard needs to break once. So uh, that's, that's been something that we've seen over the course of the season is just that mixture of speeds can create some problems for defenses or, you know, as they, as they get adjusted to it. We know how good the passing game is too with CD lamb and, and Dalton Schultz. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, what do you say about Micah Parsons? How so many guys got drafted before him in the draft. Look, that's, a mistake. Now, we don't say that here in Jacksonville because they had to take Trevor Lawrence. We get that. But what Parsons has done, I mean, he's on pace for to become one of the best all time. You look at second-year guys throughout history, and Parsons is kind of right there with the best that have ever done it. What is it about his game that has just simply translated so well to the National Football League? There's a lot to it. Um, I think you start with just – his sheer speed and athleticism. I mean, not many outside linebacker defensive end types uh, can move the way that he can, you know, four, four type of guy who's 10 yard split, you know, you feel so confident and he would go against anybody with his burst um, off a line. Uh, that's, that's a big part of it. Uh, and you see it show up in different ways on the field, but I think you go back to who Micah Parson was, who Micah Parson was before he got to the NFL, before he even got to college, he was a defensive end, uh, in, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And so he was really accustomed to playing on the line of scrimmage. And then even before that, he was like part of these national championship wrestling teams as a kid. You know, his, his dad would drive him all around the country competing in different wrestling tournaments. And so we can talk about someone who at a very young age was learning about hand usage and placement and leverage and all those sorts of things. It really shows up on a football field in all different types of situations. So he's just one of the most versatile, uniquely versatile players, not just in the league today, but in its history. Um, what he can give you at inside linebacker on one down and line up at, you know, as a defensive end, he can, he's a lead at both. And it's just, it's, it's rare. He's extremely efficient. The way he moves around, the Jaguars have to count for where he's lined up each and every play. He's a game wrecker in that sense. And the, Defensive coordinator here, Dan Quinn, does a terrific job of finding ways to isolate him or taking advantage of, all right, if you're going to pay attention to Michael Parsons in this particular look, you're going to leave Demarcus Lawrence or Dante Fowler or Dorrance Armstrong, you know, someone else singled up, and they're going to take their chances on that. So finding ways to create the one-on-one pass for situations and, and find a way to ISO Micah Parsons has, has been all a critical part to the Cowboys' defensive success so far. That's a great point. Josh Allen here in Jacksonville, his rookie year, well, Calais Campbell was still here, a couple Ngakwe was still here, so they get credit for Allen's great rookie year, but as the veterans left and Allen was basically the last man standing – wasn't as good. Now you bring in a Trayvon Walker. Hopefully that will help the Jaguars out moving forward. Similar with Parsons, or do you feel that if Lawrence wasn't there or if Fowler wasn't there and he wasn't last year, would Parsons still be the player that he is? Yeah, his brilliance stands alone. It's not like he's, you know, those guys are on the field right now, but Michael Parsons is still getting a whole lot of attention from offenses. They're chipping them. They're shifting toward them. They're doing all different types of things, cutting him to make him uncomfortable. You know, they're running the action of a screen behind him. They're, they're doing you know, all these uh, different ploys just to neutralize him. And if DeMarcus Lawrence wasn't healthy, which we've seen that for an extensive stretch last season during DeMar uh, Michael Parsons' rookie year, his defensive rookie of the year season, um, that, that, didn't, that wasn't a problem. You know, Michael Parsons still found a way to get home uh, to the quarterback and, and make his presence felt in coverage and in the run game. So, yeah, he's, he's a special player. Um, he could be one of the very greats to, to have played this game and 
the, the one thing that I think we all should guard against is as we get closer toward draft season is, oh, this guy could be the next Micah Parsons. Oh, this guy could be the next Micah Parsons. It took many, many decades before we found a single Micah Parsons. So uh, let's appreciate the unicorn that he is. Uh, you know, these kind of guys, these kind of talents, they don't grow on trees. No, that's a great point. Wrapping things up with Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News. Okay, so – Dallas is going to have a very big impact in the AFC South over the next month. They play Jacksonville on Sunday. They have a Thursday nighter at Tennessee. I want to say that's week 17. Is Dallas, I mean, I mean, they still need to win uh, for wild card positioning, but are they going to maybe rest a couple of guys in the next couple of weeks if it's apparent they're not going to catch Philadelphia? No, I don't think so. I mean, and I think there's there's a lot of hope still that they, they can catch Philadelphia. The Eagles, you know, win one and give them a chance. And then Christmas Eve, uh, Cow- Cowboys and Eagles, they meet here in Arlington, Texas. And so that'll be a, a critical game. Um, but I think if you're the Cowboys and you wanted to arrest some people, you're more inclined to do that in week 18 uh, than you are, uh, you know, and that's against the, the Washington Commanders, uh, than you are in, in week 17 in, in Nashville against the Titans. So, um, I would expect, and we're obviously looking down the line, future casting a bit, but I would expect the Cowboys to do everything they can to win that game in Tennessee. We'll see what the implications are if the Cowboys are lo- you know did lo- do, do lose that game in Christmas Eve against the Eagles, and uh, you know it's, they'll be jostling for nothing more than wild card positioning. But um, I, I still believe you're going to see the Cowboys, you know, from a personnel standpoint, at least through Week 17, be pushing to compete. It'll be a great atmosphere, probably the biggest December game we've had here in Jacksonville in quite some time. The Jaguars amazingly at 5-8, and eight, only two games out of their division with four to go, and they still have a head-to-head with Tennessee and Dallas right in the thick of it in the best division in football there in the NFC East. Michael Galkin of the Dallas Morning News. Michael, thank you as always, man. Really appreciate it. Safe travels to Jacksonville. We'll see you on Sunday. My pleasure, Ryan. And there you go, Michael Galkin of the Dallas Morning News. Appreciate him stopping by and joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. The Cowboys and the Jaguars, Sunday at 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll get the game right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. It's going to be a big game, probably the biggest game we've had in December here in Jacksonville in at least five years. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. We got a lot of people to thank, including, again, Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News. I also want to thank Jason Cole. Jason Cole has covered the NFL for many, many years. You see him now on OutKick. Always appreciate Jason coming on. Connor O'Gara from SaturdayDownSouth.com. And, of course, Dave Campo, former Cowboy head coach. Loved getting his perspective not only on the Jaguars-Titans from a week ago, but on the Jaguars-Cowboys coming up this Sunday. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Friday, and we'll do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday evening, and we will do it all over again on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.